0: I have done almost 2,000 interviews on my program with all different types of healers who provide a multi-sensory and non-Western pedagogy in their practices. Their stories help to complete that circle of artistic authenticity which we all strive for. The cats Eye interview have been making a living on the bandstand for decades. They have dealt with good leadership and bad. They have come to different understandings of what love is They have overcome a lot of adversity in their lives, and they are adept at playing all musics. For me, nowadays, labels and names have really gotten in the way of our ability to create communal spiritual music. The bean counters want a pigeonhole and brand music. Playing music of the soul is not for the faint of heart, to lose yourself or see yourself from the outside looking in. Not being worried about being micromanaged, playing free and escaping whatever's going on in your life. How hard is that? can be very hard unless you consistently surround yourself with people who never put themselves above the music. Learning to converse improvisationally and going off into space is not something that every musician can contribute all the time. I just got back from the tree fort music festival and was privy to so many younger cats, some bands (laughs) a little bit more conversational than others, but either way, I had a chance to catch up with my next guest and he absolutely blew my mind with his, ability to keep time but also uh be a conversational component and paint on his kit colin mcfadden welcome to the jake feinberg show
1: and thank you very much jake i'm really glad to have you. Here.
0: it's such an honor to, to uh to talk to you man you know i wanted you to just talk it's a little abstract and clearly you can go in any direction with this but what i noticed most about you is that um Uh, You played with a lot of intensity and, in some cases, a lot of velocity or quickness, but you never overplayed. You were never smashing the kit. You were never pounding the drums. And I wanted you to just talk in your own way about how you developed the ability to play and use your life force to create volume as opposed to actually physically pounding the drum kit.
1: First of all thank you for uh um okay, I guess your compliments there uh I've never really really perceived myself uh while I'm drumming um from the outside perspective you know so it's kind of interesting to uh um Absolutely. Yeah, you know what I mean? Um but to answer your question I guess uh getting to this point in my life as a drummer um before this band, uh, Up is the Down is the... I was playing, I started a band with a friend of mine that I met in college. Uh, we called ourselves the Emergency Stopping Only. And in that band, uh, we did a lot of really intense um, time signature changes, uh, a lot of chord structures and rhythmic structures, you know, chord, um, sort of taking the classic organization of music and ignoring it completely. Uh. And we incorporated large sections within each song that we worked on that was strictly improvisational, where there would just be a hard cut um, on the notation and every person would just have slash notation. And... It really just came down to, <clears throat> excuse me, each time we would play the song, um, expressing where we were at that day, um, you know, emotionally and musically, and how we were perceiving the music that we were playing that was on the page before and in preparation for what came on the page after. Um, I did that for quite a few years and you know, I had always done so to the best of my ability, um, but it, I didn't really have kind of a scope on it until I went to see, it was a few years back, um, I went to see Victor Wooten with Dennis Chambers and Bob Franceschini. Sure. And, you know, during that concert, they were blowing my mind just constantly, you know, with <laughs> you know, insane those musicians are, but... After the after the show, uh, I stuck around and uh, I started struck up a conversation with Bob Franceschini and started, uh, you know, talking about music and uh, we got on the topic of Dennis Chambers and he told me something about him and he said, you know, the thing I love about Dennis Chambers is that when he plays, he always plays what's exactly right for the music but he what he does is he gets underneath all of us other musicians and lifts all of us up and that's something that has stuck with me ever since and I've just you know tried my best not comparing myself at all to Dennis Chambers but it's something that I've always tried really hard to you know channel and um,
0: well let me ask you you this is so important explain how you have learned to get underneath the band because I literally just got off the interview with Billy Cobham. And we were, you know, this guy, um, you know, when he started, he was in the army band with uh, at Fort Dix in New Jersey with Grover Washington Jr. But I mean, they weren't making a lot of dough. So he was driving up to the city every night to play at the Hickory house with Billy Taylor. Or if Billy couldn't make the gig, then it was Roland Hannah or Jackie Byard. And it was this idea that so I'm I'm throwing a lot of stuff and you can just take it wherever you want, but this idea of getting underneath the band. And then on top of that, how you've learned to like, when, when did you sort of begin? If, if this is in fact the case, and I saw this with the up as the down is the, is where you are not concerned about keeping time for other people. And what I mean by that, like, Jack Dejanet is like that, where you see him play with Gary Peacock and Chick Corea, and everybody has their own inner time feel, and there's instantaneous compromise about where that time is. Nobody's concerned about a metronome or a clock in their head. There's none of this quantized stuff. And I just wonder how you've learned, like, were you ever hooked on the metronome, or have you always just sort of been – have you cultivated that idea of collective compromise and everybody is responsible for the time field so that Colin McFadden can paint on the kit?
1: Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because I, when I'm in the practice room, I definitely use a metronome when it's kind of a process. So Go ahead. When, I'm, when I'm warming up at the very beginning, it's with a metronome. You know, I'm locking myself into the time and you know it takes myself a while to sort of decompress from the day that I'm coming from to get as I come into the practice room and shift from all of that other stuff into sort of just connecting myself with that time in the metronome if that makes any sense and once I am able to lock myself in you know, I stopped thinking about the metronome, I stopped thinking about hit those exact notes all the time. Then that's when I allow myself to start thinking about orchestration. And then I stop thinking about the metronome, stop worrying about that click and let my hands and mind and body go where they're going to go relative to that feel that I've got in my head. And you know, that can that can shift whether it's you know, I might switch from feeling directly on the metronome to start playing slightly behind the beat because when I'm orchestrating, it starts to sound like it should be Absolutely. A, little more, a little more, not drag, but you know what I'm saying, a little more uh
0: Behind the beat, no, totally. Back. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And I don't
1: know, man. I just kind of, when I'm playing, uh, when I go to get on stage, you know, I warm up to the metronome as well, and I just kind of try to do the same process so that by the time I get up, and start playing with other people. And I forget about the time of what it should be. And I start to listen with the most intent that I possibly can to the other musicians And not for the sake of, you know, so that we're all landing on the beat together, but so that I'm able to connect with what they're trying to say that day. And how that comes out in time, uh, you know, you mentioned that I'm not trying to provide the time for everybody, but that I'm, I'm trying to sort of paint a picture with my drum set in a way that from what I'm trying to understand with what you're saying, I think you're saying like I kind of at times will set a new time.
0: Absolutely. No, and th- this is the, the what he was talking about. <clears throat> I was talking to him about like, role, you know, if Roland Hanna was subbing or Jackie, Jackie was also like an incredible sax player. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, like it, it wasn't about it's not just about playing free and, you know, and then, you know, uh, dictating the time. It's like within that, everybody understands that they have to compromise.
1: Uh, yeah, how, it's like yeah. where, you know, I might say something. And with me saying something, it's not me being like, okay, this is where we need to go. You know, i need to jump on with me. It's saying, it's it's part of the conversation, you know. It's like the time itself is... A fluid piece that is a form of expression to where the shifting of the the feel is part of what i'm trying to say you know it's like exactly in the dude you know, that's
0: po- that's poetry right there man that's it man. and and why why do you think that it, it, that may come naturally to you clearly you get in that practice room but when you get on the bandstand do you find like i mean does that only come with trust and time with people that you really love playing with? Can that happen instantaneously? And what would be your advice to cats in terms of sort of letting the body dance so that the music can move? I mean, there's nothing more, more boring to me than somebody who's like, you know, it's like riffology or like, you know, you know, huge chops, but like it's just about them. I wind up staring at the wall, you know, that stuff doesn't do it for me. And I just wonder like, How have you cultivated that? It's not in the practice room, but working with cats that maybe aren't as seasoned or maybe a little more insecure. How do you push them out of their comfort zone? So, you know, maybe they fall down. Nobody's going to know anyway. Audience isn't going to know.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's, there's only so much that I can do. You know, it's like a relationship, you know, where where (laughs) there's (laughs) only so much that I can do and the other people just have to accept me Mm -hmm. as I am. Uh-huh. And, you know, I can try to change other people, but it's not going to be a fruitful endeavor, you know, it's, it's me accepting them for who they are and expecting that reciprocation, reciprocity, whatever the word is. And
0: uh-huh.
1: when that happens, then that's when those sort of bending of time moments that are compromises that work happen and you know i think really the 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 best advice is just to you know go up and do that be yourself to the best of to that ability in that regard and um you know if you're if you're with the right cats then they're gonna accept you for for what you have to say and who you are
0: um i want to read you this quote from uh leland sklar one of my interviews with the great bass player he said uh he said in so many sessions and this is in the recording studio so take it for what it is. He said in so many sessions over the years the producer will say, quote, your bass parts are not matching the kick drum pattern. I'm going, quote, let me play the bass and let the drummer figure out the pattern that fits the bass part. The bass should be the dominant factor in that register. It got away from the double it got away from the double bass drum sets With the advent of so many pedal setups, guys can sit there with one bass drum and do all kinds of stuff that sounds like they got three bass drums. It gets a little tedious for me trying to accommodate that. Uh, It's become an individual thing based on the drummer and his understanding of what the bass player does. It's not all about him and his chops. I love a drummer who can just lay down a nice pocket. To me, the pocket exists between the hi-hat, the snare, and the toms. Not that kick drum pattern that doesn't allow any breathing space in here. This is unnecessary. Can you riff on that a little? I mean, that idea, and that's what Billy was talking about. Billy said, didn't matter if it was Rick Laird and Mahavishnu or Chris White at the Hickory House, Billy was always listening to the bass player. Yeah. Um, can you talk about your relationship with the bass player? Do you agree also with, with Sklar to a degree in terms of that incessant need? Like, you have to match, you have to match where the kick drum is as opposed to just uh, maybe allowing the bass player to dictate where the groove should be?
1: Yeah, man. you know, it's a, uh, I love talking with bass players. Bass players are my favorite musicians in any band. Um, you know, they're my favorite people to play with. And I think that when it comes down to the groove, you know, I always, jo- I always joke with every bass player I ever play with. It's like, you know, I'm the one that keeps the time right. And then we <laughs> all smile and, you know, I have that, uh, short little laugh bands it's uh but in reality it's you know that's not true at all it's it depends on who's saying what when and as far as when you know if the uh the kick lines up with the bass um Uh i almost said bass drum but if if they line up with each other you know i think there's certain situations where that should happen you know when both of you are trying to leave space for the rest of the band but in other times you know there's i try really hard to because i'm i'm a music producer also and i spend a lot of time in my home studio wow. and you know when i'm mixing a bass and a kick drum there's you know i can just eq um the two but i'm not going to be throwing those two things together all the time because the bass is its own instrument that's able to create these beautiful tones on the low ends that, you know, you've got the keyboard player getting out of the way. So why shouldn't the kick drum be getting out of the way too? Because I mean, we're just hitting one note over and over and that's rhythmic on the kick drum. Uh-huh. You know, we can do our little pitch changes, you know, play and play out of the kick drum, but the bass drum is the one who, or sorry, the bass guitar is the one who has a more melodic ability so I don't know if I'm answering your question here. But... There,
0: there, there are no right or wrong answers. I, I to me, uh, there, you, to me, I just there's something about the modern recording process where there's almost how do you not let the technology overtake the the grease of a session? I mean, some of my favorite records, uh, King Curtis records, or you know, Horace Silver records. I mean, you know there's some tempo chain, there's some tempo fluctuation, there's some leakage. Yeah. It's not always perfect. Yeah. I have a hard time listening to modern recorded music because I feel just in some ways, and I can't fault people, but we're just drowning in technology and that's being used to, well, you can suck all the soul out of it. Can you talk about how you try to balance that or maybe even give an example of a of a band you worked with where you can talk about the recording that you were really happy with because it 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 afforded this balance of you know humanity in it
1: yeah man there's and you know that's like uh one of my favorite or a couple of my favorite records to listen to you know Sunrise, atlantis yeah, yeah. or you know listen to the recording quality of atlantis and tell me that it should <laughs> be sounding polished and nice like you know these modern recordings it's just it would take it would take all the life out of it, everything you
0: know? everything or recorded
1: in a living room and <laughs> Like, you're hearing uh, phones ringing in the back, you know, you're hearing, or like, uh, uh, nothing is, you know, it's just like, oh, man, like, you can't, you can't take that stuff. Like, that's the, in my opinion, you know, Sun Ra went and took free, quote, quote, free jazz, and made it the most accessible it's ever been, and
0: Mm. that...
1: And I think that he did it in just a way that, you know, he left all the life in there and didn't try to mess it all up by over-processing things or, you know, telling everyone in the band, you know, hold hold up, we got to start over, you know, you played, uh, you know, your cymbal crashes were all over the place here, you know, and, and none of that happened. And it's, I guess for my personal experience, it's, it's,
0: um, I mean, cause a lot those of cats, that... is, I mean, those cats are coming into your studio, they're paying you. And like, sometimes there's an onus. Some people are like, well, we have to, I have to please the band. But to me, Colin McFadden needs to give a little bit, put that a little bit of that, that authenticity in there. And what though I just don't know if younger cats ears are used to, or can accept the, the, the vitality and the pulse I mean, there's a there's a Donald Byrd record called um, Ethiopian Nights, and it's a very incredible. I I mean, if you've never heard it, it's I mean, it's so in your pocket, man, and it's with more um, <clears throat> on one side the it's the rhythm section of Wilton Felder, David T. Walker, and Ed Green. Ed Green was Barry White's drummer, and there's this song called The Little Rosty. And literally, they hit the record button, and the first three minutes of the tune is just Ed Green and Wilton Felder working out this intense groove, and it was left in the recording. And then it turns into this 20-minute insane funk jam. It's insane. But yet, like, have you taken non-traditional approaches – you know, with cats, can you cite an example of of you know pushing cats out of their comfort zone because you know that the music is gonna, it's just gonna feel better.
1: Oh man, all the time. So
0: <laughs> when, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
1: So when I'm doing uh, my production stuff, man, it's like there'll be times where I'll write something where you know I want something to. I've got my idea of what. I would like to hear, uh, you know, in like a saxophone part or some keys in this uh, song that I've written, and so I'll go and you know I'll produce a song, get it all done, and then when it comes time for the musician to come in and lay down their track, then I'll take a couple of takes. Uh, it's it always goes where you know give them that first take to the, their first run through. Then the second take, you know, clean up a little bit, a bit of the areas that there might be something. But then I always, always, because I know this is going to be the good one, I say, all right, sweet. So we got all that on there. Now I want you to forget everything that you just did and play whatever the hell you want.
0: I love that, dude. So you go to the third. The third take is the magic take for McFadden.
1: That's what it's always been for me. Interesting.
0: Uh, that's I'm, that's so cool. So you, I love the forget everything we just did and th- throw it out talk about how that that sort of jujitsu how does how does that play into the that does that because that's a miles davis kind of thing yeah you know miles would say like miles told billy him in the whatever bitches uh, not bitches brew but like jack johnson he'd be like you know play what you did yesterday and, or he, he goes, play what you did yesterday. And of course, Billy had no idea what he played the day before. And he played something. And Miles was like, I like that. Play that. I mean, it was more like, get out of your own way. You know, yeah. stop thinking so much. Just be, so you found that like, cats are in a relaxed. Can you just talk about how that opens up? Because I've always been somebody who's been like, granted, I'm not, I'm just a journalist. But it's always like, first take, maybe a second take. After that we're done. But the third take in your mind is the, is the butter is the butter take.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's I've noticed that with that's how it works for my personal production. There's other situations with uh, you know, other groups like the emergency stopping only I used to play with where we would just sit down and uh, turn on the recording and you know, just start playing. And that was the only (laughs) take. Right. And, but in my My production stuff, you know, a lot of these musicians I'm bringing in, you know, they've spent all this time learning the music. Um, We've usually not had any time together before then. And if so, it's only for a brief discussion. And when they come in to record, then, you know, they, a lot of the musicians I've worked with, it seems like, you know, they, on that first take, you know, they're wanting to hit these notes as they are on the page and i think that comes from the the a lot of the classical training you know where you have notes on a page and as soon as you've got notes on a page then there's a wrong way to play it and so when cats come in for that first take you know they they might have everything nailed down perfectly but it's going to it usually sounds a little bit stiff that's right they're trying to get it to you know sound just as it should quote unquote and then that second take you know it's like they're feeling a little more relaxed because they've already had their run through. And at that point it's by the third take where they're not expecting, you know, by the second one, they're expecting me to be like, all right, that sounds great. You know, let's, let's call it a day. But then that's where I like to come in on that third take and, you know, give them the opportunity since they've already taken all this time to learn this music. They've probably, you know, as a musician, I know how this goes where you're playing something that you've learning on the you're learning the notes on the page and you know you get these other little ideas so then you start playing it in a different style or like hitting this diddy and loop it or something and you know put a beat behind it or something <laughs> right you know, right behind the right. fucking fugue or something and but then you know you for the performance you've got to go back and play it as it was you know historically or whatever so i like to give people the opportunity to let all of those things come out because, you know, as musicians, we all have these different paths that we go through in life. And throughout that path, we learn how to have, you know, we learn our philosophies and how to have conversations in our own ways and add our own flavorings and styles to those conversations. And I feel like if we don't give people the opportunity to be themselves like that, then they're not going to be able to express their best musicality when it comes to recording. And for me, that's seems to be always the third take. I don't know.
0: Well, I think it's, I mean, it's in my mind, it's very unique. And I think it, uh, would you say, I mean, I think one of the crises in modern instrumental improvisational music today is that um, there's not enough venues. um, The idea of a touring circuit that's sustainable for creative instrumental music is not really there as a result cats are going into the academy now because every school has a jazz program and they're coming out sounding just like their professors uh you go back in time i mean i've done enough woodshedding with all these cats most of them vinnie calliuda i mean other cats they didn't even graduate berkeley uh, they just took a bus to L.A. and got, you know, just started shedding and get it, you know, finding a way in. Yeah. Um, and they were also playing like, you know, six nights a week, three sets a night in terms of you. Like, were you an ear trained musician? Have you were you self-taught? Talk a little bit about this. uh, Because like, I mean, it's just it to me, cats ears. There's a couple things going on here. Number one, they come out sounding like their professor. Number two um, you know they uh, they lear- a lot of younger cats are learning to read music before they learn to hear it so their yeah. ears are locked and they can't really hear when you know Jackie Bayard his lessons would be like all right let's play Cherokee in all 12 keys and then the cat would you know he'd get on the drums the cat would get on the piano and then by like F he'd fall apart and uh, and and Jackie would say okay well that's good. Now you know what you need to do for next week. And I'll see you next week. I mean, It was pretty straight ahead. <laughs> and and because they're so talk about your ears, how they've grown the most. And then ultimately, your self-taught versus academic uh, education.
1: Well, I think my my ears, how have my ears open. That's up? always
0: the best question. How where did your ears grow the most on the bandstand? <laughs> yeah. You can think about it. I, I, talk, like, were you, did you, were you in some symphonic band? Was there a demarcation point where you were like, I'm done taking directives from a conductor, anything like that? Or was it all just, were you just a total street scholar?
1: You know, I think that uh, there's kind of a combination of things that happened here. Uh, and it's going to answer your academic question. At the yeah, same go for time. it, man, yeah. So when I first started playing, it was, uh, you know, coming up and everything. It was just like anyone else, you know. Got on a drum set one day and just, you know, except I didn't have any classical training, never took any drum lessons for years and years. Um, and it was all playing, you know, just a bunch of rock music because that's what was going on in my family, you know, what music that I was hearing. And for me, I didn't actually hear a lot of uh jazz until I started listening to um Flying Lotus and started to immediately immediately started to be like where's where's this guy's ears coming from like where
0: (laughs) why is this
1: music so different than what i've been uh, raised on you know and so then i went on to this huge deep dive you know and first thing you get to after flying lotus is jay dilla and what happens after you hit Jay Dilla? then, you know, you just dive into all of jazz. Absolutely. So just went down that Um, around the same time uh, Kamasi Washington's The Message came out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I pretty much left that playing in my car for I don't know how many months, but <laughs> that was sort of my introduction and then you know went out and started um renting uh john coltrane cds from the library which the library out in nampa idaho is very short on its jazz selection but it's where i started and i, I gotta be honest i, I
0: just so i walked it i was got to say this I, over christmas when i was up my brother lives in boise so i went to this record shop not record exchange another one really really hip shit shop and there was like this like uh jackie lomax who was like this english singer spent some time in woodstock uh i found this dollar bin record of his and I'm, there was a library card insert nampa public library dude, was dude. so dope dude i'm like I, i'm never getting rid of this record ever dude Dude, I'm sick. so the, yeah. the the point is that you explain explain the poly like is jazz about, because it was foreign to the rock, more of the 4-4 rock that you were listening to, Kamasi is completely an outlier, really amazing player in this time. But is it more like, is jazz just about playing in the cracks? Is it about creating rhythms within, you know, to me, like what was it that, and, and ultimately like, did you have to learn to just sort of like dance in your own body at that? What was the fundamental shift after, you know, sort of, immersing yourself in that insane barrage of spiritual music
1: man what was uh it was like how do i how do i do this you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah right. that's a great start yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i had zero idea one of uh you know i was also into tool yeah. and you know danny carey is a jazz drummer and mm-hmm. So the first thing that I started to do was like, OK, well, if Danny Carey a jazz drummer, I just got to listen to a bunch of jazz and try to play some Danny, Carey, some some tool songs, you know. So started doing that and then figuring out what odd times or uh, not just odd times, but also what polyrhythms are. And from there, uh really didn't have any idea what I was doing until I decided one day that I wanted to go to school for music because I didn't, wasn't really doing much else with my life. So I went over to just the music program at BSU. Um, I'd emailed the composition professor over there, been like, Hey, I want to get in on this. And he's like, okay, well, you got these steps to take. That's a whole other story. But um, then I took drum set lessons for the first time with a guy named pat flaherty uh hugely known in like the uh i gotta get
0: i gotta get to that cat immediately (laughs) i've never heard of that cat that's unreal
1: he's a huge uh he's taught so many people and gotten to the drummers pretty much to the you know in dci um the drum corps where they've got the It's like I can't remember all the names, like Blue Devils. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, he gave a lot of people their start, and he's got ridiculous chops and huge studio out at his place. Like he uh, just retired a couple years ago, and you know, even after unloading his a lot of his instruments, you know, his studio's still packed full of stuff. His record collection's insane. You know, RV garage that's wall-to-wall records. Um, and through him, uh, he started giving me, in addition to my prep for school, for music school, you know, classical percussion, uh, He, I started getting on the drum set and started giving me education on um, swing and, you know, how to swing. And at that point, I didn't really know how to do it so it still sucked pretty bad and
0: i gotta see videos of this this is unbelievable this is where the rubber meets the road dude unbelievable (laughs) learning to swing go ahead continue
1: and uh it was after that um and i got into the music program that i decided to uh well i'd gotten into the music composition program And it was the professor there named Dr. Samuel Richards, who was only an adjunct professor that was only there for one year. And this guy was so much in contrast with the rest of the music department that they definitely did not keep him around. But in that one year that he was there, he touched so many of our souls that... Uh, to this day, if I talk to any one of those other composition students, like you know, the amount of passion that they'll talk about this guy is insane. But...
0: I, I need you to. T- I, I want to spend time on this. Uh, it breaks my heart that he was such a. I don't know if he was a black sheep. I don't know why. Why the heck? These out. What was it about him that w- that resonated with you guys so hard? It's the biggest problem in 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 our, Everything has to be safe. Yeah. Everything has to be quantified. They need data. And you need to be retained for that. Yeah. If you, God, God forbid, you you bring some spirit and flair and individuality. I mean, I'd love you to talk about this cat. To me, that's what that's what jazz is, man. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was. So for him, he was the first professor that I had who taught me how to think about music and not what to think about music and
0: give an example of that
1: so he would I remember one specific uh we had this this studio where we'd all meet up in all the comp- composition students would meet up and it was our we called the composition studio and he would you know play some music for uh you know some stuff that he's just been listening to to get started and Then when he would actually break down, you know, well, what's actually going on in this music, Um, then he would not explain it in terms of, so this chord is happening here, and then this transitions into this chord and transition. Instead, it was more of the structure of the, and not even structure, it was like, what is being conveyed emotionally here? Wow,
0: wow. Yeah. You know, like, was he, because um, I know, like, in the past, like, cats, some cats would, some professors, really heady ones would just say, "Uh, you know, take a tune, like, Dear Old Stockholm, or, you know, whatever, some Tony Williams tune, don't, and just contour it, you know, don't play it, just contours, you know, feelings, emotions. Uh, was he a drummer himself, or was he just sort of? Well, he's a piano
1: uh pianist and he uh he sort of had this philosophy that I've incorporated into my into my philosophy where those those things that he would show us musically it would be everything from all over the spectrum in terms of historical to modern to just came out yesterday uh huh And he would take these things and he would show how they all connect to each other. Not in like a historical thread, but in a, all of this music is equal. And there is no right canon that we should be deriving our academic process from, because where we're at in modern society, we're all we've all been influenced by all of this history up until this point. So why aren't we progressing and utilizing everything from the modern greats all the way? To those of the past and that's why
0: that's why he that's why he was only there for a year dude that's 100 so, that is so progressive and cool and scares the living crap out of administrative people that actually probably have never spent a day on a bandstand anyway go ahead
1: yeah man there was a so you know these sort of things these kinds of studio lessons um you know I was like the first here's this uh classical studio and this uh this guy and the guy who who got him the job that had left over to uh michigan uh you know we're showing me like mashuga as my introduction like <laughs> hey do you like this do you like the and it's like man what's going on here like, <laughs> And the uh um sorry what was your question <laughs> no
0: i i i guess what popped into my head was uh I mean, I'm sort of riffing on it from, you know, my own sort of, you know, perch, but why is it, is his philosophy too avant-garde? And what are the starting points? Where are are people starting with an antiquated music curriculum? Can you really build a curriculum around this modern time? Like he's talking about, we progressed this far. Why aren't we incorporating this fusion of all musics but can a curriculum be built off of that and where i'd see um, to me it's like that why do you think his concept is so such a quote-unquote outlier in the academy
1: man that's uh honestly that's something i've been working on for years (laughs) you can write a
0: book on that yeah no i mean it's just it's really dude i even talk to professors and when they're I mean, they're getting paychecks, which is cool, but they they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. So I'm not sure how we're supposed to make any progress if the cats who were, you know, that came up in the 70s and were on the bandstand with Freddie Hubbard and J.J. Johnson and now they're teaching in the academy and they're teaching kids completely differently than how they were raised on the bandstand, but they actually can't talk about it because they might lose their, their paycheck. You know, to me, there's just, there's these number of things, but I just wonder... What the starting point is for most music universities like is it just like classical i mean to me like what is so antiquated about it to me it's one of the major reasons why uh, in my mind there's just been sort of a stifling of the vocabulary just what he said we're not adapting to the modern times of, of just bathing in a complete sonic milieu
1: yeah, man. I, I remember I had, a, I had a conversation with one of my theory professors back when I was still in music school. And I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, I'm into this kind of music. And, you know, I know a lot of other musicians here are into all sorts of types of modern styles. Like, why can't we can we I asked him straight up, I was like, can we incorporate, you know, some of these, you know, just like have a week or something where we focus on some modern styles and how this you know, these, right. uh, these Beethoven pieces and Bach pieces, how they, you know, tie together to this modern music. And the um, the response was initially, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Then, you know, we had a single day where he took down, hey, what were some pieces of music that you guys would like to look at? And just, he wrote them on the board. Never anything came out of it. And finally I asked him again then another time and was like, and why can't we incorporate some of these things? And he's like, oh, you know, we just don't have time. And it's wow. like, you're telling me that we don't have time for progression in this thing that we live and breathe and we can't do without. Like, we don't have time to teach people how to express themselves. We don't have time to show people how this thing that has inspired them to become this musician how they can get you know elevate themselves to the level that they want to go to you know we don't have time for all of that like we have to spend all the time on learning the same old stuff that everybody else is learning like why can't we have individualism you know it's, each school is like a school of thought right like why, can't, why do they have to be so similar to all the others like I don't know man I, I think
0: what you just said there is a thesis for a larger paper book? I mean it's so real, it's so heavy, and I have a tendency to think that uh not just that cat who said he didn't have time, yeah. most of those guys are so steeped in their specialty and they've never really pushed themselves out of their comfort zone that they probably don't know how to even explain that shit to you guys. Maybe they do, <laughs> but to me, if you're saying you don't have time. It means you don't. don't know, really, you're just jiving, man. You don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you this concept as well. Talking to Colin McFadden here just blew my mind. I could have seen you in like so many different musical settings that weekend. Um, but I dug that band a lot. But yeah. I want you to talk about the concept. You know, everyone's like, "Yo, man, uh, you know, got to you know, the downbeat. Okay, where's the one?" You know, people get so insecure collectively when the band loses the one. And, you know, Jamerson said, there is no one. Any note can be the one. Uh, The Grateful Dead, one of my favorite live bands. I never saw them live. But, you know, to me, it is just one living, breathing organism. And when collectively, after hundreds of thousands of shows uh, and trust, when they come back, when they lose the one they come back in all together it's the most i mean it's just like it's orgasmic in some ways and i just wanted you to talk about your concept of the idea that any note can be the one
1: man that's a i think that's kind of part of what an aspect of what separated me away from in addition to all the stuff we just talked about sure separated me away from music school because of that band emergency stopping only my my good good friend jared knight uh and lenny both of them jared knight and leonardo escobar
0: oh my god i gotta get this i you're telling me it's a defunct band i'm really i gotta i gotta hear some of this stuff man
1: man it's uh
0: it's but that's so jake feinberg's pocket it just hit the record button and go to the intergalactic you know yeah man
1: and it uh
0: Yeah, the one, the the, the one,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, the downbeat, yeah. Yeah, so with this band that we had, um, you know, we'd have all these sort of improv situations where we would just, well, not worry about it, right? Just strictly, purely, purely listen to each other and stop worrying about where that one is, stop worrying about Mm -hmm. what we're playing and just worry about, just the feeling of it. And I think what kind of separated me from school was being like, I want more of this. And when I got to playing with emergency stopping only on a regular basis, then I was able to understand what it meant to I guess what it means to not worry about the one lose the
0: one and come back. Yeah, exactly. And not be, not freak out about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's the understanding that tension, like, you know, everyone always says, you know, you know, music is just tension and release. And I mean, that's everything in life. Right. So in our jobs and then like driving down the road you know there's the tension of like going through traffic and having to deal with traffic stops or like stopping at a red light and then release a little bit when we get to go and then the full culmination when we get to wherever we're going you know is that whether we perceive it or not there's like that relief there and that's all over life and that is what we all do I mean, that's. I think that's why a lot of people, when they get up into their elder years, they have, you know, when you talk to someone up there and they, they have this piece about them where they don't really have worries of, you know, like, I've got to do this great thing in my job and have a great career. And like, they don't have all these worries that a lot of us younger people have to worry about. And they have this peace about them because they've, they're coming to that or they're at that point of release in their lives after all of this tension of having to be the best that they can be or, you know, however they live their life. And I think music and worrying about the one and having that experience where the band's, loses the one or intentionally or otherwise but then turns it into this musical expression of the soul and emotions and then having this collective culmination resolution where we come together and it's like and here we are back at the one together.
0: I'm sorry. That's a, that's a a pinnacle, man.
1: Or the, you know, they've got that look in their eyes and everybody's physically, you know, you're seeing them all hit the one together. Even if, even if they're not moving, like, you know, there's, there's just that weight that oh my God. everybody collectively feels, you know, that is, I feel like that is the purest expression of this thing of music as it is as an expression of human life does that make sense
0: dude you're you are waxing poetic man this is like it doesn't dude so much of this stuff is invigorating because you know i'm not sometimes always asking questions but you're going right you're articulating stuff that is so hard to articulate to me vibration and rhythm in the last five years or so of my life has just is the only thing that's healing for me. And I want to see cats that are taking chances and really playing beyond what they know. And some of that has to do with, with this, this, uh, emergency stopping only where it's just, <clears throat> you got your rudiments in place, but then there's this sort of, Oh, what me worry. Uh, I'm going to go for it. Let's have a ball and let's not stress about, all these things that are sort of codified i just don't you know to me grading like g-r-a-d-i-n-g is grading is grating it's just very grading to grade somebody musically when you can have these spontaneous moments of pure enlightenment uh on the bandstand and so i you know i just colin i mean we we just burned through 53 minutes here i i I have to go pick up my younger daughter but I really can we can we do set two like next week because dude I mean this is important stuff and I just feel we need to keep riffing on it I, I I mean I have like I understand that uh that I my prayers are that the information that we talk about and that I talk about with all the cats is just going to live on long after I'm gone so there'll be a rebirth and sort of maybe God knows a An open-mindedness towards cats like your professor who just was totally brilliant and and away from the safety of it and away from the quantified need to, you know, I think you just got your finger. And that's the other thing. It's tension and release, feeling where the pulse is as a collective union, and then dynamics within that, uh, which is – we didn't even get a chance to talk about up is the down (laughs) is the – so yeah. we, you know, if can we hop on set two next week?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I think I think what you're doing here is a really great thing, and I'd love to have a, I'd love to have a part two.
0: All right, let's do it, baby. Yeah, man. Have a great weekend, man. I'll get this up later. I'll, and uh, bless you, man. You're you're on your path. You stay on that path.
1: Thank you very much, Jake. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, homie. Be good. Take care. Later.